Guys, I've kind of been glued to the TV the last uh, few days, and uh, you know, rarely do you watch a World War II scale invasion happen on the screen of television. I found myself rooting for a people uh, who are passionate uh, to defeat a powerful enemy that was set to defeat and to reign over them, rule them. You know, the call went out by their head of state that any man 18 to 60 years old couldn't leave the country. They had to pick up arms and, and defend and fight for, for the country. I'm convinced that the Ukrainians are a people that know who they are in history and I think they know their culture. They know who they are as a nation. There are people that were actually were freed from the uh, tyranny of the Soviet Union back in 1991. And having been freed, it's interesting, now the enemy wants to come back and reign over them a second time and con conquer them again. In fact, the only plea I've heard from many of the Ukrainians is that uh, they, they don't want people as much as they want weapons. They want, they want help. They want provision so they can defend and defeat an attacking foe. And you say, Don, what does that have to do with, with Romans chapter 6? Well, I couldn't help but be reminded this last week of the spiritual warfare that Paul has been unfolding before our own eyes as we've opened up the, the book of Romans chapter 6. Those of us who have been uh, brought to life and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're here today, Christians, we're here today in the midst of a war of a far grander scale than what's taking place over in the U Ukraine. The battle is a battle for holiness. The battle is a battle for sanctification. We too were once free from the tyranny of an enemy, sin. But here's the thing. That sin wants to come back and try and regain a second tyranny or a third tyranny in our own lives. By the liberating power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God is freed us from the reign of sin. We saw in verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And sin no longer has dominion over us. The war has been won on the cross nearly 2,000 years ago. But the enemy has returned and he's out to fight more battles in each one of our own lives to somehow do all that it can do to bring the reign of sin back into our lives. Sin has uh, targeted your mortal body. Your mortal body is in the crosshairs of sin. We're going to see that in today's verse. Uh, sin comes to take capture and to grab the members of our body and to take them and use them as weapons of unrighteousness. So the sin is after your mind, it's after your hands, it's after your feet, it's after your eyes, it's after your tongues. And to use them as weapons of unrighteousness. So we're, we're really, I mean, if you want to think of what's going on TV, we're, we're involved in a hand-to-hand combat. We're in a daily guerrilla warfare with an enemy that wants to defeat us as believers in Christ. 
But the good news is that God promises that this war will be ultimately won and we will be free one day from sin. In fact, in the verse 14 where we're going to end this morning, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are no you are not under law but under grace. So Paul's great goal in, in chapter 6, 7, and 8 is to strengthen us as a spiritual army, strengthen us as spiritual soldiers, to remind us of, of who we are, to remind us of the, the, that uh, what God has done, the resource that he, resources he has given us to be able to stand and fight the enemy of sin. Now last week, if you were here, you saw who we are. Everyone who has been saved by the grace of God, we saw we're in union with who? Christ, right? We're in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we saw that being in union with Christ, one with Christ, in Christ, means that everything that happens to Christ happens to us. So Christ died, we died. Christ was buried, we were buried. Christ rose again, we rose, we rose with him. We died with him. We were crucified with him. We were, for every intent and purpose, we were there with him. Uh, in unity with him when this happened. And this isn't pie in the sky. This has really happened. And this is who we are in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's important that we know our identity and know who we are as believers. Everyone who has been saved, I don't know if that's you or not, but if you've been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? You're in union with Christ. You're one with Christ. You, you were crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, rose with Christ. And today you walk in the newness of life because you're in Christ. And we saw last time the justification. That's the first opening chapters of the book of Romans. So we get all the way through the end of really uh, chapter 5, starting at verse or chapter 6. Uh, everything before chapter 6 tells us what? You have been justified. You're not guilty. You have the righteousness of Christ through faith in what Christ has done on your behalf. But when you come to chapter 6, and now the, the topic switches to what? Sanctification. We find out that everyone who has been justified, that's everyone here today who has what? Believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and is forgiven of their sins. Every one of us are being sanctified. There's no option. It kicks right in. When you believe in Christ, you're, you're being sanctified. And all who believe in Christ are being can't separate the two. We saw that justification is all a work of God. It's, it's of His grace. He calls. He gives faith. He gives repentance. He clothes us with His righteousness. He does it all. But now we're coming to sanctification. We're going to see that we're involved in the process as well as God in, in sanctification. When you die, Christian, you're going to see Jesus face to face. Do you believe that? I don't know what that's going to be. I don't know what that face looks like. But we'll know it when we see it, won't we? And we'll, we'll see him face to face. And the wonderful thing is this. On that day, we're going to be freed from sin. I don't know about you, this last week, I mean, it's a battle, isn't it? I mean, are you engaged in the war? Are you engaged in the battle? You know what it's about? The fight for holiness? But on that day, we'll be glorified. Now here's the question. 
The day that you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, whenever that was in your life, Christian, from that day to the day that you died, and now all of a sudden you're glorified, there's no more sin, what's life like during this after believing in Christ to the day I die? In other words, what is a Christian life all about? And we're going to see it's a life of sanctification. It's a life of growing in grace. And uh, until we see our Lord face to face. It's a lifelong battle, though, also. Where it's not just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be like Jesus until, you know, he comes back. No. Once you purpose to, to be like Christ, and you have the Spirit of God in you, and, you and, and basically you've died to sin, now you enter into a warfare. Spirit, flesh, enemy, believer, and engaged in a spiritual warfare for your holiness, and for your purity. It's really a, a warfare against sin. So sanctification is that work of God that he does in the life of every believer, where he progressively makes us more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. It's uh, we're progressively being freed more and more and more from sin. Now, how long ago were you saved? Do the math. Do the quick math. And let me ask you this question. What, what changes have taken place in your life during that period of time? That six months, that one year, that five-year period. Do you see that growth in grace that God brings to every single believer? Or are you identical to you were the way you were before you trusted in Christ? If nothing's changed, then more than likely you don't have life. You don't have salvation. That's how important sanctification and justification are united together. Everyone who is justified is being sanctified. And they will be glorified. So, here's the question. Where do we begin in our battle for holiness? Where do we begin in our battle to, of sanctification, of, in, in part of sanctification, we're becoming more like Christ? Now, this is important, okay? A lot of what I say might not be important, but this is important. So, I'm going I'm to highlight it right from the front end. If you talk to 100 different professing believers, I don't know how many different views you're going to receive as an answer to the question, how do I advance in holiness? I mean, typically, the answers fall into two or three categories. One category, and by the way, look at it this way. Borrow pits, ditches on both sides of the road, the narrow dirt road down the middle, okay? So it's a Wyoming imagery, right? We all, we all understand what we're looking at here. We've got, we got a ditch on this side of the road, don't want to go in there. We've got a ditch on this side of the road, don't want to go there. We want to stay on the, on, the, on the right road of truth when it comes to sanctification. There's those who typically go to the left side of the ditch, the left ditch. And what, what, what they believe is this. And maybe you've been taught this somewhere along the line. Or maybe you've read a book about this somewhere along the line. That is, those who seek after holiness through doctrine alone. Those who seek after holiness through doctrine alone. What do I mean by that? Well, okay, we've been using the terms indicative and imperative, okay? So you might have forgotten what those words meant. And uh, an imperative would be like what? A command, right? So if I say, get out the door, again, it's imperative. Uh, indicative is a teaching, it's a doctrine. Jesus Christ is Lord. That'd be, that'd be uh, 
Indicative or imperative? Indicative. Just check and see if there's nothing. It'd be an indicative. But there's those who teach, those who teach that we don't need any imperatives at all in the Christian life. All we need are the what? The indicatives. Oh, what we really need is the doctrine. What we need is to, if, if we know more about Jesus, if we know more about grace, if we know more about just the salvific work that Christ is doing, if, if we know about who we are and sin, and, and, and the more we realize how much Christ took upon himself uh, the wrath of the Father on our behalf, the more we immerse ourselves in doctrine, we will just naturally want to become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the ditch on the left. That's a common teaching today. There's the ditch on the right, though. The ditch on the right is this. Well, really, we don't need any uh, indicatives. What we need is just imperatives. And, and the imperatives would be what? Just give me those commands. Just tell me what I must do. Give me the do's and give me the don'ts. And as I put that all together, you know, I don't need doctrine. I just need to be told the duty of what I must do. Now, you can see those who might be on the academic side, on the doctrinal side, the ditch on the left, are in danger of, uh, of a lot of things. But, but, but one thing is that uh, doctrine alone can lead to a very heady form of Christianity that doesn't work its way out in, in an expressive uh, way of truth. Doctrine alone can uh, can cause us to uh, have an academic Christianity, can result in spiritual pride, it can weaken our holiness. And so there's some real danger. Not that doctrine is bad, but doctrine alone can lead us in the wrong direction. But the other side, with, with nothing but a doctrine of rules and regulations, been churches like that, where you have people where there's this, one be holy, well, here, here's the ten, the ten list of things you do, and the ten things you don't do, and do those, and you're holy. No doctrine. Keeping a moral list without any kind of moral theology or spiritual theology behind it. Don't be angry. Love your wife. Love your husband. Don't steal. You know, several months ago I met with a man who shared with me this very view. You know, you know I want to be like Jesus. But I don't want all that doctrine. I know you guys over at Redeeming Grace Church, you seem to talk a lot about doctrine all the time. And, uh, and in theology and, and some of those things. I'm not a theologian, he says. I, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. I don't want to go to seminary. I just want to be holy. And here's the point. You can't be holy unless you understand what? Theology. The two, as we're going to see, go hand in hand. If you go exclusively with either one of the ditches, you're going to fall into error. Both views are out of balance. And I believe the correct view, the view that we see in Romans 6, the view, actually the view that we see worked out in almost all of Paul's writings, his epistles, are this. The pathway to sanctification, the, the growing in grace in God, the, the battle against uh, sin, and the battle for holiness, really encompasses both views. And see, the pendulum swings one way or the other. We've got to bring it back in the center. There must be sound doctrine. I mean, that's why for the first 11 verses of chapter 6, that's where Paul has been putting all of his efforts to teach us about who we are, what Christ has done, all about the gospel. And it isn't until he gets to verse 12 that we're going to look at today that he finally 
And now here's something you can do. He doesn't start us doing before we know who we are and who God is. I mean, the starting point of sanctification is knowing and believing. In fact, in uh, chapter 6, there's four indicatives that we've already seen. 3, 6, 8, 9. He hasn't even told us to do anything yet. And here's the balance. Both are essential. Doctrine is important, but it's not everything. We need to know, if you're going to live a holy life, you must know that you are in union with Christ. Uh, again, I point you to Sinclair Ferguson on that. Go, go, go to YouTube. Go, uh, go, go to several books on, on, his, on union with Christ. And you'll see how precious and important this doctrine truly is. As we saw last week, we must also, we know who we are. We're in union with Christ. We died with Him. We were buried with Him. We rose from Him. We need to know that. You need to know you're dead to sin if you're going to go forward in holiness. Because if you don't know that, you're going to be tripped up along the way. And you need to also know this is not pie in the sky when we say that, uh, that you're dead to sin. This isn't some ethereal ether kind of thing. This is like truth. This is reality. This is concrete. We have died to sin. So in light of who we are and being in Christ and the imperatives we looked at in verses 1 through 11, let's, uh, let's break this down into three points today. By way of review, we'll look at verse 11 is we're gonna, what we have to reckon. See that in your notes. Number uh, verses 12 to 13, we're going to see there's something we have to do what? Refuse, And then by way of reminder and kind of by summary, he brings home the same truths to us again as we close in verse 14. But let's look at reckoning. Verse 11 says, So you too must count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. So you too, believer, okay, that's all of us in this room who are trusting in Christ. You must count yourself dead to sin. And what I've done is substitute in there, you must reckon yourself dead to sin. You see, it's not enough just to know intellectually in your mind that I'm dead to sin, check the box. Or it's not enough to say, oh, I realize Paul teaches that in Romans chapter 6. That's not the issue. You must reckon this to be true in your life. You must realize that uh, this is true of you, that you are dead to sin, that you're alive to God in Christ Jesus. That sin no longer reigns over you. You must let that absorb into your mind, into your very being, and personalize that truth as it relates to you. I mean, when you trust in Christ, this is who you are. Because you're united with Christ, you are dead to sin. Now, do you believe that? Well, I'm not sure. We'll find out. We're going to keep going. You're a new person in Christ. Do you believe that? Or do you still view yourself as that same old person you were before you came to Christ? I don't care if you came to Christ like my grandmother did when she was 76 years old. She was a new person in Christ. Even in her old age. New person, transformed life. You must reckon this to be true. Let it sink down into your innermost being. Personalize this truth. Let it sift into your heart. 
so that you too must count yourself or reckon yourself to be dead to sin. Dead to the power of sin. Now, do you remember we said last time? That doesn't mean sinless, does it? If you're dead to sin, are you sinless? No, you're dead to the power of sin to come in and what? And reign over your life and see you're kind of a slave to sin. You're freed from that. You're dead to that. You count to yourself, you reckon yourself also to be alive to God in Christ Jesus. So there's both sides of reckoning here. You've got to recognize, okay, I'm dead to sin, but I'm alive to God. I'm in Christ Jesus. I'm in union with Him, it says. I'm spiritually alive. I'm transformed. And why is this important to know? Because if you don't realize that the life of Christ is in you, you don't realize the resources and the power you have in your, in your battle for holiness. Go back to John chapter 15, the vine and the branches. You've got there the, the picture of Jesus Christ being the vine. Now we're in Christ, right? So the vine is connected, vitally connected to the, the branches or in the vine. And so the life that's in the vine does what? It comes up through the vine out into the branches. And the branches have life. And the branches bear fruit because of the life they have through Christ. Because we're vitally connected to Christ, we have the life of Christ in us. Is that ether? Is that ethereal? No, that's true. The life of Christ is in you. We need to believe that and reckon that to be true. And by the way, this is helpful, I think, in a couple areas. But one of the most common areas where this is helpful theology for us is when the enemy attacks you the next time, this is usually the fertile ground that he likes to, to tread in and to, and, to, and to attack you. And attacking your assurance. And attacking uh, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. Uh, you know, you, you can say, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. You're going out as a Christian. Now you sin. And what's he going to do when you sin? He does it every time. He sticks his bony finger out. And he comes to you and he points it at you. And as he points his bony finger at you, he accuses you and says, you call yourself a Christian? I don't know what his voice sounds like, but probably something like that. You call yourself a Christian? Yeah, I do. Well, Christians don't do those kind of things. You're dead to sin. Is he in a southern accent? I don't know. <laughs> but what do you do? You come back with truth. You come back with doctrine. You, you fight the enemy with truth of the word of God and who you are in Christ. And you can say that I'm dead to sin. I believe that. I reckon that to be true. I'm alive in Christ. Sin no longer reigns in my mortal body anymore. Yes, I do sin, Satan. And you caught me on this one. But go away because you no longer have dominion over me and neither does sin. Because I'm a new person in Christ. I'm just in the middle of a battle right now, the battle for holiness. And the final victory won't get, isn't going to come until I see Jesus face to face. And I'm glorified. So you reckon yourself to be dead to sin. You reckon yourself to be alive to Christ. And you reckon this to be all true as it relates to you personally. Personalize this truth. In fact, this truth should be so embedded as your truth, you have no trouble with acting upon the truth. That's the next step. Acting upon the truth. It's not just in your head. It's, it's now worked its way out where you're now going to begin to activate it and, 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 and by way of conduct. brings great hope and assurance to you also in the face of death. But I want to look at the second point here, refuse. 
So you reckon yourself dead to Christ. That sinks in. You reckon yourself to be alive in Christ. You're dead to sin. And now that that's in you, and you know that you're vitally joined to Christ, and, and you're reckoning this to be, recognizing this to be true of you, now there's something you must do. You must refuse. This is the first, uh, here's the first imperative. Therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? Because something was said before, therefore. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. There's the command. Do not let sin reign, or I, or I put refuse to let sin reign in your mortal body. You say, well, wait a minute. I just, you've been over this several times. You keep telling me that I'm, I'm dead in sin. I'm dead to sin. Now you're telling me, don't let sin reign in my moral body. I, I thought I was dead to sin, and it no longer reigns over my body. What are we saying here? It's true. Before you came to Christ, you were a slave to sin. You were, you were being under the reign of sin. It was the master of your life. You could not free yourself from its slavery. It ruled over you. You were powerless to defeat it. But now, you've been freed from the reign of sin. That's true. Just like we talked about the enemy in the introduction, even though he's, he, the, the enemy is, is you're free from him, he no longer reigns over you, he's coming back. And he comes back to try and reign over you again. And this time he wants to reign over your mortal body. And that's the place where sin might reign in your life in, to varying degrees uh, in your mortal body. It's interesting as you read in Romans 6 how precise Paul is in selecting the words he's using to describe you and what God is doing by way of sanctification in your life. He could have just said, you know, in you. Don't let sin reign in you anymore. But he's being more precise than that, isn't he? He's saying, don't let sin reign in your what? Mortal body. That place where sin might might take up residence or that area where sin wants to really be activated. It's an area that needs to be protected. The physical body. And I believe mortal body is, is various views on this. It won't take time this morning. Uh, the one that I think is, is probably the strongest is your mortal body is your body. It's this body that's dying. It's decaying. It's getting older. It has canes. It has walkers. You get hurts. can't get up. can't sleep. And this body... And I believe Paul's contrasting here this mortal body with another body that's coming along down the line, which is going to be your glorified body. We're not there yet, right? We're still here in the flesh. This one's getting older, it's going to die. And then we're going to receive a glorified body. But until we do, he's saying, refuse to let sin reign in your physical body, in your mortal body. <clears throat> Don't let sin reign. You know, it's uh, the real you. By the way, you realize there's a real you and there's the mortal body. I mean, the, I'm glad the real me is not what you see standing up in front of you. This is my, my earth suit that I've got on here. It helps me breathe and, and kind of get through this earth. But it, it, this is the, the suit that's dying and, and it's you know, withering away. But that's not me. The spiritual me, the real me, is the one that was eternal, was inside of me. It's the one that's going to heaven. This body 
is decaying. And so when he says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body, he's not talking about you who have been redeemed and forgiven. But this mortal body, this, this earth suit that, that you have, uh, don't let it reign in your, in your mortal body. See, your flesh is unredeemed, right? Your spirit, your new, you have a brand new spirit, a new heart, you're, you're a new creature in Christ. Still got the spacesuit that uh, is, is decaying. That's, it's the body of, of the flesh, the sin. Of the, the, the body, the mortal body. And I believe this is where the, it begins in the mind, this is where the war of holiness is really raging. This is the battleground. It's your body. It's your physical, mortal body. How does that work? Well, Paul's commanding us to refuse to let sin reign over your physical body. Don't yield to it. In fact, don't yield any part of your physical body to sin. Take all the members of your body, the, the digits, the eyes, the nose, the ears, the, 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 the mind, the will. Don't, let, don't yield any of it to, to sin. So first we need to know who we are. Christians who are in union with Christ we're dead to sin and we reckon this to be true in our life and as we reckon this, reckon this to be true in our life now we, we, we come and we refuse we say no to sin we're not going to let it reign over our physical body and it's always going to be an active force it's always going to be an active force in all of our lives the resistant fight it Kill it. You who are in Christ know this. You've been involved. How many of you have been involved in this warfare? You know what it's like. You want to live a holy life. That's, that's who you are. You're that new person in Christ. You want, you want to be like Jesus. So you get up the next morning and start a new day, and wow, all of a sudden the tongues rattle off, and the thoughts have gone here, and hands have gone there, and, and what, what happened? Well, we didn't. Refuse to let sin reign over our mortal body. You are dead to sin. That's a fact. It no longer reigns over you. That's a fact. You you no longer have it. No longer has power to enslave you. I don't care what you feel. That's a fact. It's no longer the Lord of your life anymore as a Christian. That is a fact. Sin has been dethroned from your life. That is a fact. Having said all of that, it's still there. And it still comes in for guerrilla warfare. And it still wants to fight. And he says, don't let it reign over your mortal body. Your unredeemed body. By the way, we're stuck with this body. I don't care how many facelifts or surgeries or whatever you have. How many knee replacements, hip replacements, or whatever else. We're stuck with this body until the day that we die. And we get a new one. Praise the Lord. And so that's where the battle takes place. Setting self against God and the purpose for his salvation. We're under the Lordship of Christ. You know, you might have been blessed with all the means to stop sinning. We have. Died, buried, re resurrected. New heart, transformed life, indwelling spirit. But the enemy's still going to attack. Sin's always going to be, be there trying to get a beachhead in, in, in your body. And he says, refuse. 
refuse to let it say no, stop sinning. I mean, really, from a Christian point of view, the battle for holiness is as simple as that. Do you realize that? I mean, there's more to it because of who God is, what He's doing, and how it all works together. But ultimately, how do you have a victorious Christian life where, where you don't sin anymore? You stop sinning. It's that simple. And God says, I've given you the resources to do that. But we still do because we have this body of flesh. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in, as in my presence, but much more in my absence. So Paul tells the Philippians, For you work out your salvation in fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. You see that? He's in there. He's changing us. The Spirit's there. We're new creatures. And He's giving you the will and the work to do for His good pleasure. But you must work your salvation out with fear and trouble. There's both ditches put together for us as we see in Philippians 2. Some, something we have to do in light of the doctrine that we've been taught and who we are. So how do you refuse sin? Well, let me know after church. Uh, I, I'm open for all kinds of insights that will help in that area, but uh, we know this. Understand who you are. Remember you're in union with Christ, verse 1 through 11. Remember that you're dead to sin. It no longer reigns over your mortal body anymore. And then you must remind yourself of it. Reckon this, this to be true for you. This isn't just pie-in-the-sky Bible theology. And then apply it. Re refuse to sin. Refuse to let it have a beachhead in your life. And I believe this is something we have to be doing almost moment by moment, day by day. If we do it month by month, we've already, we're, we're, we're behind. We're behind, and, and we're going to be uh, falling falling deep into sin. This is something to think about when you wake up in the morning. I'm dead to sin. I'm in union with Christ. I'm alive to Christ. Sin's not going to reign in my mortal body anymore. He's given me all the resources I have today to live a holy life. And you go to sleep and you're waiting for you know, to fall asleep and your mind's working. You meditate on a thought like this of who you are in Christ. And then when we break bread, one of the things we do is we, we meditate on, on what the bread stands for and what the, the cup stands for. And as you meditate on that, meditate on your union with Christ. Meditate on being dead to sin and in our union with Him. You know, when you apply this to your heart, I believe it requires us to go through and do some soul searching and thinking about these things and asking yourself, what kind of person can I be in light of these doctrines? If these doctrines be true of me, what kind of a person should I, should I be? I mean, God has saved you to do what? Go to heaven? Yeah, well, okay, that's part of it. But what else? Glorify him. Huh? Glorify him. To glorify him, yes, that's the ultimate. The what? To free you from what? To make, make you holy. To free you from sin. If Christ died for that purpose on the cross, shouldn't I be about doing something in my Christian life in response to that truth? To say, no, I refuse to, to enter into sin. 
and the wrath of the Father was poured out on the Son for my sins. So how can I just go hip skipping and jumping right back into sin? I can't. It reminds me of who I am in Christ. So whenever that sin sticks up its head in your life, and it will, the temptation sticks up its head, the desires stick up their head, and your emotions, your feelings inside, as it says here, to make you obey its passions. It has passions that it wants you to, to feel and to bring you in. Refuse to obey its passions. Refuse to obey the carnal appetites that come from it. Remember, you're in the battle. And you got a good glimpse of this in the life of the Apostle Paul. He was, he was in the battle every day. He knew it. Uh, you might think of Paul the super Christian, you know, the wrote a lot of the New Testament, but uh, he was a man, you realize, just like you, just like all of us, he's, he's a human being that struggles like we do. We'll get to chapter 7. And he writes to the Corinthians in 9.27, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I might myself should be disqualified. I mean, if you take that literally, saying I... I actually beat my body into subjection to bring it where it should be. I mean, that, that's how he attacks the, the sin, the passions, the desires of his flesh that he wouldn't sin. If it's not just, a, you know, shooting a gun out of a window kind of warfare, this is guerrilla warfare. He said, I'm actually beating my body into subjection to the point so that I might, my preaching might not be disqualified, might be disqualified from the ministry. Now let's look at verse 13 because he adds another refuse to. Do not present the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. So not only don't let sin reign in your mortal body, he says refuse. Uh, do not present your parts or refuse your, your parts from becoming uh, a sin to be instruments of wickedness. Now here he's talking about, okay, we talked about the mortal body, that's the whole body, right? Now he's getting down into the, into the specifics. He's here now talking about parts of your physical body. Present the parts of your body to sin. Don't do that. So what parts do we have in our body that we can present over to sin, and just give over in the area of sin? Well, there's your mind, your thoughts, Wicked thoughts, sinful thoughts, lustful thoughts. There's your eyes. It's glued to a computer that might take you to sexually unclean pictures and imagery on the internet. There's your tongue. A simple little tongue that's full of lying and profanity and slander and gossip. I mean, the tongue is a small part of the body, Scripture says. See how great a forest is set aflame by which a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among all our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and set on fire by hell. No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Those are strong words. James 3, 5 through 8. There's our hands, stealing, 
striking, using them for illicit purposes. There's your feet. They're swift to run to violence. Don't present parts of your body for uncleanness. And I believe what Paul is doing, he's covering all the members of your body. Here's, here's, the, here's the temptation. And this is what we have to be careful of. You could easily clean up maybe your tongue so you don't swear anymore. Maybe you're pretty good on gossiping. Not gossiping. But you, uh, you know, generally you kind of clean yourself up with most of your, your uh, digits, your instruments, parts of your body. But what you do is you carve out one of the areas of your life, one of the parts or two of the parts of your body that others can't see or aren't aware of, and you harbor that, and you hang on to that. And that becomes a part of what's defiling you. But you have the air and the appearance of righteousness, but when inside you're holding on to some parts of your body that are actually being given over to sin and therefore defiling yourself. And what Paul is saying, stop it. Don't do that. He's talking about give all of your members, don't let any of your members be given over to sin. And I was reading John Owen on this this last week. It was was really interesting. He was talking about the deceitfulness of sin. And he said this is one area where we're easily deceived in the area of sin is by having those areas of our life that we clean up and, and we put on display and give that air of decency. But inside we are coddling onto and holding onto parts of our body that's defiled by sin and we will not let go of it. It'll kill you. So we have to, we have to deal with all of it. He says, Be, beware of the deceitfulness of sin in this particular area. So it covers all, all areas of your body. When your members are given over to sin, they, they actually become weapons of unrighteousness. Let's meditate on that for a while. Take your fingers and use them over for some area of sin. Now that that sin becomes a weapon, we're talking warfare here, of righteousness, unrighteousness towards others, maybe yourself, maybe your own soul. So hopefully you see what Paul is saying. Refuse to yield any member of your body, any member of your physical, mortal body to sin. Stop it. But instead, the end of verse 13 Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. You see, salvation just doesn't take away sin and make us neutral. Remember, the righteousness of Christ has been imparted to us. So it takes us beyond that. And what we have here, he says, don't just stop sitting in, in, your, in your body, uh, in your mortal body. But take your parts, your eyes and your ears and your nose and your hair and your all your parts of your body and use them for instruments of righteousness, weapons of righteousness. You think about your mind in Philippians 4, 8, how your mind, instead of just being neutral, not maybe thinking bad, sinful thoughts, you just kind of want, you know, maybe just thinking about sports or, or thinking about the stock market or, or something else. Philippians 4 8 says, Take your mind and think on these things, things that are true. Discipline your mind to think about things that are honorable and just, things that are pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, 
Worthy of praise. Think on those things. Or the tongues we looked at there in Colossians 4, 6. Let your words be gracious, attractive. Habakkuk 1, 3. Your eyes. Rather than maybe not turning the computer on and using them for sinful things, but instead use them for something as weapons of righteousness. Habakkuk writes, eyes that are pure, that can see no evil or that which is wrong. And Romans 10, 15 talks about the feet. The feet being quick, quick to run. And run to do what? Preach the gospel. Tell others about Christ. Let your feet be used as instruments or weapons of righteousness. We probably should have sung this hymn today, but we didn't. And uh, so I'll sing it for you here. Uh, I know you're familiar with it, but it's one that just ties in exactly with what, what Paul is saying here. It's by a lady named Frances Havergal. Uh, she wrote this hymn to consecrate every member of her physical body to Jesus Christ. And you know the hymn, you're, you're familiar with it. And you know, it starts off with my life, let it be consecrated. My hands, let them move at the impulse of your love. My feet, let them be swift and beautiful to you. My voice, let me sing always only for you, my King. And then my lips, let them be filled with messages, messages for thee. Take my intellect and use it, every power within me. My will, make my will your will. And my heart, uh, it shall be a royal throne unto you. Take my love, my Lord, I pour it. Thy feet, its treasure store. And then it ends with these words, it's all-encompassing. Ever only, it's all for thee. Every digit I have, every part of my being, it's all for you. It's all for your glory. And then quickly, just to close, and very briefly, uh, the third is the reminder in verse 14. For sin shall not be your master, because you are under the law, but you are not under the law, but under grace. There, there is the summary right there. Sin shall not be your master. Do you believe that? Is that true? Is that true of you? Do you reckon that to be true of you? This is kind of a reminder to all of us. And by the way, isn't that a magnificent promise that, uh, that, that Paul gives us here? Sin shall not be your master. You need encouragement. That, that, there's encouragement there. Do you believe it? Do you reckon it to be true of you? Not that a believer shall not commit sin. We all will commit sins. We will fall into sin. But it will not be our master. We can't go back and live the old life in slavery to sin anymore. We've been freed. For you are not under the law, but under grace. And there's a lot here we can just go on. But... Uh, let me just see if I can simply restate this. We're not under the law. We're not under the demands of the law. We're no longer you can't save yourself by the law. The law will only bring a penalty, as it carries with a penalty, and it'll always condemn and bring death. We're not under the law. We've been freed from the law that way. But that doesn't mean we're, we're been freed from the law of God as far as 
uh, a way to live out our life in obedience to his word. The Christians delight in the law of God. And the law of God becomes a very lamp to our feet. And we look at it. And we want to follow it. And we want to live out by the grace of God. God's commands in our life. It's, it's an expression of who he truly is. But we're under grace. We're under grace. We're under the redeeming power of grace that frees us from the power of sin. So let me close by a quick, quick summary. Here we are today. You know, Mary uh, sent me a picture of these Christians in Ukraine huddled down in the basement tonight. If anybody's on that thread or not. And they're the, they were worshiping God. Moms are going off upstairs and uh, they're down in the basement and uh, oh, there's about 12, 15 of them there, you know, worshiping God, breaking bread together, praying. In some ways, I, I kind of liken that group to ourselves because we're a small spiritual army here uh, of believers. We too are in the midst of a war. And we don't have an encroaching enemy from the, the east, but we do have an encroaching enemy of sin. The battle is for holiness and sanctification in the Christian life. And one of the reasons why we're here on this Lord's Day is to strengthen and encourage one another in the battle. We're here to encourage each other to reckon certain things to be true as we go from those doors, through those doors out into the world. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you are in union with Christ. You're in Christ. You're dead to sin. And you're alive to Christ. And this is true of every one of us. These aren't just words on the pages of Scripture. These, is, these are words that are true of each and every one of us. That's you. Therefore, re refuse to let sin reign over your mortal body. Stop it. Stop it. It's that simple. You don't need a, a book on this. You don't have to know how to stop sinning in 12 easy lessons. It's very simple, but impossible. Stop it. God's given you all the resources. Refuse to give any parts of your body over to sin that can be used as weapons of unrighteousness. And then we're closed with this reminder. These are words of encouragement. This closes out this section of Romans chapter 6. We're going to a new section next week. Sin shall no longer be your master. You're under grace. Praise the Lord. So, Father, we close and just thank you again for your word. Lord, where do we begin to thank you for the eternal work of grace you've done in the heart of every believer here today? And how can we even ever end with our thanksgivings, Lord, as we consider saving us and gracing us and giving us your Son and imparting into us the life of yourself and and bring us to the point of forgiveness and, and having the righteousness of Christ and all the blessings that are His or ours and we can go on and on. Perhaps that's why we have eternity to bow before You and thank You for such a wonderful salvation. In light of all that You've done, Lord, give us a fresh resolve. Lord, cause us to reflect on all that You provide that we might live a life to defeat the enemy of sin and to live a life that's holy before you. Lord, I know it's going to be a, a, an ongoing battle. 
know it's not going to be until we see you face to face. But we long for that day and praise you in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.